Good morning, America. This is your host, Mark Dunnigan, The Daily Answer, just kind of one of the programs connected to answering religious error. Make sure you catch our Wednesday live Bible Q&A, and that would be at noon Eastern time every Wednesday. You can see that through Facebook and YouTube, YouTube, and that is also archived as well. That's my understanding. But in this particular episode, I want to take a look at the book of Haggai. It's a book in the Old Testament. It's considered one of the minor prophets, minor not in the sense of not important, but just a smaller book compared to well, a book like Isaiah or Jeremiah. And the name Haggai means festival or joyous one. And we're actually told the date of this work, which would be about 520 B.C., and the theme of the book basically is rebuild the temple. In 536 BC, about 50,000 Israelites had returned from captivity, from Babylonian captivity. Their temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians uh, years earlier. And under the leadership of Zerubbabel, they come back. And they erect the altar, they offer burnt offerings, and the book of Ezra tells us that they would gather materials for the rebuilding of the temple, and that's Ezra chapter 4. But there are people that have moved into the land or were brought into the land by, like, the Assyrians, and they become the Samaritans, and they start harassing the Israelites, and, well, the rebuilding comes to a halt. And then spiritual apathy sets in. And for about 16 years, nothing happens. The construction of the temple was discontinued. And so God will raise up Haggai and the prophet Zechariah to encourage the people to finish what they started. Because of the efforts of those two men, the temple would be completed in 515. And it is clear that Haggai is speaking by inspiration because no less than 25 times in the two short chapters of the book that bears his name, he appeals to divine authority, as in, thus says the Lord. And so in verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, his people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Interesting, God does not say my people are saying this, because right now they're not acting like his people. This people. Are we acting like God's people? Their excuse for not working on the temple is a common excuse. Not the right time. Not the right time. One writer said procrastination has always plagued God's people, both then and now. And yet, God asks them a very pointed question. Verse 4, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your own paneled houses while this house lies desolate? We need to learn to ask ourselves such convicting and penetrating questions like that. If it wasn't the right time to work on the temple, then why did they have plenty of time to furnish not only to build their own homes, but to furnish them with costly inlaid woodwork. Their actions, our actions say everything, not what we not what we claim, not what we say, but what we do. Always believe, 
always believe the message being sent by what people do, not what they say. Their own personal comfort was far more important than the temple. And the paneling may have even been the same wood collected for the temple because later on, God says, go to the mountains and get wood. It could be that they had actually used up the very materials that were supposed to be used on God's house. And the attitude of the community here is in direct contrast with the attitude of David, who could not bear the thought that God dwelled in a tent while he lived in a palace and thus wanted to build a temple. You know, they were satisfied to worship among ruins Why they went, well, home to very comfortable residences. Does God's work have to skimp and save when we buy things that we don't really need? Are we very generous with ourselves, but stingy with God? And observe that time and opportunity can fly by so fast because they had been saying it's not the right time for 15 years. Are we letting life pass us by when it comes to being involved in sharing the gospel with others and other good works? Well, one of these days I'm going to do that, but you know, really busy right now. Oh, I'm really busy with school, college, getting my degree. Well, now I'm really busy with my first job and kind of moving up the ladder. Well, we just got married, real busy there. And then we just bought a house. Well, we just had kids, really busy there. Kids are in school now, really busy. And then they're in sports. Well, now they're in high school. Well, now we're busy taking them around and checking out colleges. And well, now we got a wedding. And are we habitually saying, not the right time, not the right time? Verse five, consider your ways. Wow. Great observation there. Give careful and honest attention to your conduct in those last 15 years. So should you continue on the path you're on? Um, has your, one writer might say, basically God, when he says, consider your ways, is saying, well, how's it working for you? And that's a great question to ask any sinner or anyone who's unfaithful. So what have you gained by not serving God? What have you gained by putting God on the back burner? What, do you gain, what have you gained by putting work ahead of God or hobbies ahead of God? What, what have you gained? And if someone says, well, I can't afford to, well, no. You can't afford not to give as you should. You cannot afford not to read and study and pray and attend as you should. He says in verse 6, you have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Ooh, the last 15 years, how was it working? Well, it wasn't. And the thought is that God has the power to turn off the blessings. There weren't any rich harvests. They were barely scraping and getting by. Not enough clothing even to keep them warm. And whatever money they did earn was eaten up by, well, inflation, high prices. Everything's expensive. Does that sound kind of familiar? America? America, does that sound familiar? 
we put in, because we're not putting God first, are we putting money into a bag with holes? Tell you what, that's a losing proposition. And then having rebuked them for what they had not done, it's interesting in seven and eight, you know, it's interesting. God doesn't just write them off and say, that's it, you're done. God actually gives them a chance to correct this, to correct this, to correct this situation. In verse 9, he says, you look for much, but it comes to little. Why? Because my house, which lies desolate, while well, each of you runs to his own house. Runs indicates they really were apathetic about the temple, but they were not apathetic about their own residences. They were zealously concerned about their own homes. That was the center of their interest, not God's house. What gets you really excited? Does God get the best of your zeal, attention, devotion, dedication, excitement? Are we more excited about material or earthly things? Does pop culture grab you more than the Bible? These were just people like that were running. They were running to their own little projects. They were running to their hobbies and their own little house that they wanted to get just right. And God's house was being neglected. And God says, that's why I turned off the blessings. You see, and, and that's just not back then. That can be now too. God's still God. God's still God. God's still just as powerful. And this is still his world. And just don't think like, well, that was in, but, you know, well, you know what? God can still do that today. And I'm just impressed here. Um, in verse 12, then Zerubbabel and Joshua, who was the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. You see, man can obey God. We can obey God. And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. That is, we're not showing reverence for the Lord until we take him seriously. We're not showing respect for God in, until we start changing our life and obeying his message. And then there's, in verse 13, God says, okay, I'm with you. Start showing the proper respect and God says, okay, I'm with you. You see, God never gives his people impossible tasks or ones that are doomed for failure. God says, go out there and gather materials and start working on this. I'll be with you. And so that's what happens. Man, knowing that God is with you should be the basically all the motivation we need to do what God says. I'll be with you. Share the gospel with the lost. I'll be with you. Get rid of your sin and put on righteousness. Uh, put God first in your marriage, in your family. I'll be with you. Give as you've been prospered. I'll take care of you. I'll be with you. And as a result, as a result, verse 15, they were able to complete what God said. Where are we? Can't be done. Not the right time. Or I'm going to obey God. I'm going to trust God more than my feelings. I'm going to trust God more than what other people say. I'm going to trust God more than my inaccurate perceptions about things. I'm going to trust that when God says he'll be with me, then whatever command he gives me to do in scripture, I'll tackle it. 
and I'll tackle it with enthusiasm. What gets you excited? Your own little house or the work of God, the greatest work in the world? Until next time, we'll see you in the funny papers.